we rehearsed and went through many of the things Satan did, trying to, to, to hinder, trying to stop, trying to prohibit Jesus Christ from being born. The one that God had prophesied would bring his doom. He did everything he could. And again and again and again and again, he thought he had victory. He had, he had Christ defeated and uh, not at all. Christ overwhelmed the grave. He overwhelmed Satan. And so, listen, he doesn't want Jesus praised. He's still mad. He's going to be mad for all of eternity. And um, praise the Lord. God is good. Amen. Listen, we have somebody with us this morning. I, I, I didn't fail to mention them earlier. I, I, I wasn't, I forgot them, but I didn't have them written down. And listen, I'm at an age where if I don't write it down, it didn't happen, right? So, um, Stephen and Carolyn Crockett are with us this morning. They came the farthest, so they may get two things of jelly. They came, they came all the way from Papua New Guinea, uh, traveling and got in late yesterday. Is that correct? Did y'all come from Papua Indonesia, not New Guinea? Papua, in, Papua, Papua, which one? Never mind. They came from, they came from Indonesia. Same island, just different half. Okay, all right. I, re- I do read your, I do read your, I do. I always have Papua New Guinea in my head, though. But we're glad you guys are here, and they're going to be, they're going to be back here uh, in two weeks for our mission conference, and uh, Stephen will be preaching one of those nights. They'll be presenting another night, so I hope you'll come and, and, and hear from them. But we're glad y'all are here this morning, uh, even if I don't know where you came from. Yeah, these are, these are our, what would you say, Raymond? They were our, really our inaugural missionaries. Uh, they were the first we took on about three years ago, maybe. And, um, yeah, we're, and we're thankful. We're, we're thankful to be a part of that team and looking for many, many more of those types of relationships. All right, well, this morning I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 3. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3. Uh, we'll be looking primarily verses uh, 21 through 26, but we'll, we'll look at verse 9 through 26. And if I were giving a title, and I don't think we ever did a title slide for this, or at least I didn't, I didn't, I didn't give Aaron one. Um, so I was working on, it's still a working title even as I stand here this morning. But if I were given a title to this message this morning, I would title it this, The Only Road to Righteousness. The Only Road to Righteousness. So... Um, the overwhelming theme of the book of Romans is the righteousness of God. That's the overwhelming theme as we look at this. And you see the word righteousness in the passage that we're going to look through this morning. We see it five times. It's found in verse 10, verse 21, verse 22, verse 25, and verse 26. We're talking about the righteousness of God. Now, the first point I'll make is this. The witness of the law pronounces our guilt and hopelessness. Okay, let me say that again. The witness of the law. And we're going to talk through this, but the witness of the law, it pronounces our guilt and our hopelessness. That's what the law does. That's what the law did. It it showed our sin and it showed that we could not gain our way to heaven by the works of the law. There was no way we could be righteous by the works of the law. And Paul is making that case here in verses 9 through 20. So if you're there at Romans 3, we'll read this here. Uh, What then, Paul says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. So the, all the, the Jews who were practicing Judaism were under sin. The law had revealed that to them. The Gentiles who were not under the law were under sin. They were all under sin. 
He says in verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Paul's going to go through a list here of, of scriptures, and he's talking about us. He's talking about the state of man and the state of mankind and, and what we are like. He says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have, all to, they have together become unprofitable. There is none that does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And that sounds like a great description of man, doesn't it? Boy, we're a wonderful boy. We're just, man is awesome. We're wonderful. But that's who we are. That's what we are. That, he describes very well the sinfulness of man, our condition. And he's, and he's stating very clearly there is no righteousness in man. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. I, I, as I read that, I always think about this. No, 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 just shut up. You don't have a word to say. Don't try to defend yourself right here. No, but, but, no, no, there's no buts. Every mouth will be stopped because the law makes it very, very clear they didn't have a leg to stand on. They're sinful. There is no righteousness. And all the world may become guilty before God. And we understand this, that the law, what it does, it pronounces, it shows, it proclaims our guilt and our hopelessness before God because of our lack of righteousness. Verse 24, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in the sight, uh, in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, that word justified, it means this. It means declared or made righteous in the sight of God. And so what he says, Paul says, no flesh, no flesh, none will be justified. No flesh will be declared or made righteous in the sight of God in his, in his sight. That's what the law, because the law brought the knowledge of sin, but it could not bring righteousness. There was no way of to practice the law and to maintain the law because there was no way to fulfill all the law. We think of in the New Testament, it says that to be guilty of one, if we've committed even one sin, we're guilty of all. So we are unrighteous, and the most righteous person, the most well-doing person is, is guilty as the most sinful sinner because we're guilty of all. If we've committed even one sin, we're guilty of all. Um, I, I can't, I'm not going to be able to call his name now, but he does a lot of street preaching, and, and uh, Ray Comfort, I think it is, and he, he takes that approach. And he says, he asked people on the street and people say, well, I'm a good person. I've done this. I've done, I'm, you know, I'm not this. I'm not. And he says, all right, well, well, have you ever stolen something that wasn't yours? You ever taken even a pen or a paper clip? You ever taken something that was yours? Yeah. Have you ever told a lie? Yeah. Have you ever looked on a woman or a man with lust? Oh, well, yeah. Well, you know, you're a thieving, lying adulterer. So yes, you're, you're a sinner. And, and when people begin to understand that, that even one sin, to commit even one sin, even one impure thought, we are unrighteous. We are unholy, and there's nothing good within us. Luke 10, 29 says, But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? We know the story there. The Lord was telling, and, and, and this lawyer, wanting to justify himself. Well, who is my neighbor? He wants to get into a debate. He wants to make himself look good. Look, that's what we want to do. 
That's what we spend our time doing. We want to justify ourselves. I'm going to justify my anger. I'm going to justify my bad attitude. Well, you don't know what I grew up in. Oh, you don't know how I was done. You, don't, you, you just don't know. We want to justify it. We want to explain it away from us and put it on to somebody else. Well, it's their fault. It's their fault. It's, 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 today, it's never my fault. We want to justify ourselves. That's what we want to do. But the truth is that we were and still are hopelessly lost in sin. Now, if you, if you follow baseball, if you follow baseball at all, then, then uh, you, you realize the baseball season started. Most of us, let me ask, how many of you do like baseball? All right. How many of you understand baseball? How many of you don't understand baseball at all? you like, I don't, Okay. All right, so somebody help them because I'm going to talk about some things. I'm going to talk about some things. I need you to help them out. You may have to explain some of this later. All right, so I want to just I want to talk about baseball for a moment to to illustrate you know our hopelessness. So who was? So I ask this question: Who was the greatest hitter ever? Don't just yell out yet, but not necessarily who who was the greatest ever, but who had the? Let me ask you this way: Who had the highest? Lifetime batting average. Does anybody know? If you know that other than John, because we talked about it the other day. If, if you know, it, well, I said don't yell it out, but that's all right. Thomas already beat us to it. You got it out before I made that clear. Does anybody else know that didn't hear what Thomas said? Does anybody know, think you know who had the highest lifetime batting average? Who, who, who was, what's your guess? Nope. Who else? Anybody got a guess? Robinson? Nope, not Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth actually had a very high lifetime batting average for a home run hitter. It was pretty amazing. Not Ted Williams. Ted Williams actually had a season over 400, but he hit in the low threes for a lifetime. Not a great, great hitter. What was the answer there, Thomas? Ty Cobb. Cobb. All right, for a bonus follow-up question here, double jeopardy. (laughs) Double jeopardy this morning, Thomas. Um, Do you know Ty Cobb's nickname? All right, you lost everything. Sorry. It's a good try, though. No, it's a good try. Ty Ty Cobb is right, but he is known as the Georgia Peach. And for those of you who know, I'm from Georgia. So that, you know, Ty Cobb, hey. We we don't have a president we're proud of that came out of Georgia, but we do have a Hall of Fame baseball batter that came out of Georgia we're very proud of. Ty Cobb, Ty Cobb had a lifetime batting average of 366. That sounds amazing. For those of us that have played a little ball, we understand that's a high average. That's amazing. 366 batting average was his lifetime. And that was 12, 13, 14,000 at bats, which means this, that Ty Cobb, he only got 36 or 37 hits every 100 plate appearances. Only 36 hits every 100 plate appearances. And listen, that is amazing because we go, oh, man, that is incredible. That's the best ever. That's Hall of Fame. But what about an airline? Do you want to fly with Hall of Fame airline? Hey, we land 30%, 37% of our flights land safely, 37%. So you don't want Hall of Fame in baseball terms when it comes to your airline pilot. You know, we want something closer to, to uh, perfection with our airlines and with our pilots. We want, we, want, we want perfection. We want something closer to perfection with our surgeons. 
You know, we don't want the doctor to come in and go, hey, man, I feel really good about this surgery this week. In fact, I'm two out of three this week in our surgeries. I, two out of three made it through just fine. And uh, no, that's not what we want. We don't want two out of three. We don't want, we don't want almost perfect. We don't want close to perfection in those areas. Now, it's fine in baseball, but we're not talking about baseball here. Listen, God demands not like perfection, not close to perfection. God demands absolute perfection. And if I, you know, if I, if I taught about it, my batting, here's the fact. If, if I took, if I went up against a major league hitter, me, if I went up against a major league hitter, I, I confidently, I confidently think I could actually make contact with the ball maybe once or twice. I, I mean, I'm, I'm being, I'm not trying to be a fake, huh? I'm serious. Greg Maddox would, would, would make a statement. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to throw. I'll tell you how fast it's going to be, and you won't even swing at it. That's how good he was. So major league pitcher, I'd stand up there, and, and I might get it timed down to where I actually get the bat on the ball. That's not to say I'm going to get a hit. I might actually make contact. So I might, I might realistically go 0 for 100. You know what I think? A lot of times spiritually, that's where I'm at. I feel like, I, I feel like I'm 0 for 100. I feel like I can't, I can't do anything. I take, a, I take a step forward and I take two steps back. We struggle. That's who we are, folks, in our sinfulness and our brokenness. So, so what the law did, look, the law revealed that our righteousness is like dirty rags. That's the way the scriptures, and I want, I want to tell you what that means, uh, but, it, but it's, 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 it's dirty, okay? So Isaiah 30, 64, 6 says, but we, all, we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. All our righteousnesses, all of the things that we glory in. I'm righteous here, and I'm righteous there, and I'm righteous in this area. And God says all of our righteousness, our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. That's not easy to say three times. Paul makes the case, and he makes it well, that because of our sin, we're guilty and hopeless and unrighteous and lost and separated from God. So if you've read that and you've heard that and you still think, well, I don't know Jesus is my Savior, but I'm okay, then you've not heard anything I've said. We're, we're hopeless. We're hopeless of getting to God in our own righteousness. Point number two, the witness of the law proclaims. Now, I said this. I said the witness of the law pronounces our guilt and hopelessness, but the witness of the law proclaims His grace and our hope. And let's look at this. Romans 3 verse 22 says, But now, now when, I, when there's bad news in Scripture, I love when there's the word but. I love it because it's a hinge. But is a hinge word. It's, it's either there's really been something good you're doing, but I have this against you. There's a hinge there. There's a change. Or there's all this bad news. There is no, you can't be righteous. There's no way for you to be righteous. You have no righteousness before God. You're not going to stand before God and write. There's nothing. It's not there. But... But, but now, there's a change. But now, verse 21, Paul says, but now the righteousness of God. See, it ain't my righteousness that I have hope in. It's the righteousness of God. He says, apart from the law. This is good news, folks. Righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. 
being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So the law and the prophets, they proclaimed our hopelessness. They proclaimed and, 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 and announced and pronounced our guilt and our hopelessness. The law made that very, very clear. But the law and the prophets also witnessed and they proclaim his grace. And speaks of the Messiah who's coming. Look, we are hopeless, but the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the righteous one. So let's put what Jesus did in the terms then of baseball. So if Jesus is playing baseball, he got to hit every single at bat. He never had a strike thrown against him. He never swung and missed. He had a hit every single time, but not just a hit. I'd say he got a home run every single time. And if you really want to extend that out because of his perfection, he got a grand slam every time he was up to bat. Whereas, pop, doom, it's gone, home run, grand slam, run the bases every time. Look, if he's a pitcher, here's what he does if he's a pitcher. Is Garrett here today? Where's Garrett? He's in the back. I went and watched Garrett pitch one time. He was almost this good, almost this good, but he wasn't. He didn't, he didn't come up to what Jesus would do. If Jesus in his perfection were a pitcher, here's what he would do. Strike one, strike two, strike three. They may, not, may or may not swing. They would not make contact. Be strike one, strike two, strike three. It will be three up, three down, every inning, every, every game. It will be nine perfect innings every game he ever pitched. 81 pitches, 81 strikes, 27 outs, every game a perfect game. That's what he would do. No error. I mean, I mean if, a, if, a, if a pitcher can strike out a couple of guys a game, two or three or four or five, six guys, I mean, he's had a good game. That's a, that's a really good game. Jesus, he strikes everybody out. Nobody ever gets a bat on the ball, nothing. He's perfect. In the spiritual sense, when we look at the spirit of this, Jesus was perfect. He was perfect. He never sinned, not even once. I can't even make contact, spiritually speaking, and Jesus never made one single mistake. Not an impure thought, not a wrong attitude, not a wrong action, nothing, not even once. Righteousness is revealed in Jesus Christ. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Even, so he's talking about, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is being revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Not to some and on some. It says, through faith, the righteousness of God is available through faith to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So these verses here, these, it actually tells, says two things about God's righteousness. The first is this, that God's righteousness, it is available to all who believe. It's available. There's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. There's no distinction between bar hopper and church hopper. There's no distinction between disciple and the thief on the cross. It, it's available to all because it's needed by all. In the same way that all have sinned, all need God's righteousness. There's not a one of us that doesn't need God's righteousness. So the righteousness of God through faith, it is available to all who believe. Number two, it is only possible through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is one of the great paradoxes of the Christian faith. See, salvation is incredibly inclusive. 
It's incredibly inclusive. It's available to anyone who repents and believes. But salvation is incredibly exclusive. It is only available by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only way of acquiring f- salvation is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In very inclusive, the Lord desired that none perish, but all come to repentance. That's the Lord's desire. It's available. The price has been paid. Everything has been done, and it has been offered. Very inclusive, but it's exclusive because the only way to be born again is through a personal relationship, through faith, saved by God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of people get hung up with this. See, the popular view today is this. It's it's that all roads, all religions, all beliefs lead to God. And it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. As long as you're sincere, it doesn't matter what you believe. It's like I've said, you know, you can sincerely believe you can fly. Go jump off a five-story building, you'll be sincerely dead. It does matter what you believe. It does, it absolutely matters what you believe. And others think it's, you know, it's, it's like a mountain. You know, there's this big mountain and God is on the top of the mountain and we're all just taking different paths up the mountain to get to God. That's the way it's viewed. But folks, that's not the gospel. And that's not what scripture teaches us. See, the power of the gospel for salvation isn't just having faith in something or in anything. Acts 4.10 says this, 4.10 and 4.12 says, speaking of Jesus Christ here, it says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Scripture is very clear. The only name The only hope of salvation is through the name of Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ is the one and only way we can attain the righteousness of God. Paul made it absolutely, he made it abundantly clear that our only hope is the righteousness of God. It's not our righteousness because we have no righteousness, zero, none. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If the glory of God requires absolute perfection, there are none of us who acquire to perfection. In fact, we're all really low because if we've sinned in one, we've sinned of all. We're great, great sinners. We're not just, as some would think, well, I'm just a, you know, I'm not really a bad sinner. I'm a minor sinner. There is no minor sinner. It's kind of like being a little pregnant. If you're a sinner, you're a sinner. Sorry, my mind jumps all over. Faith in Jesus Christ is the, the one and only way that we can attain that righteousness. Which, which is why these, these next few verses are considered by many to be the greatest uh, passages in all of Scripture. When we look at verse 24 through 26, this is, this is dynamic what we're going to see. In fact, we could spend weeks breaking this down. So forgive me because I'm not going to spend weeks breaking this down. We're going to look at this pretty quickly on, on what this means. We're hopelessly lost in our sin. We can't do anything to to acquire righteousness. There's nothing we can do. But God has done it all. And that's what we're going to see in verses 24 through 26. That the righteousness has come and righteousness is, is Christ. He is the righteous one. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed 
to demonstrate at, that, at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, Paul would fail a literature class. They would, every teacher would wear him out for his run-on sentences. And, and that, that right there, those three verses, is one, that's one sentence right there. And that's continuation from before. If I wrote like that, I'd be in a lot of trouble uh, with, with my professors. But uh, there's a lot in this right here. And here's what he says. I want to try to sum up what he's telling us right here because this really is the gospel. It really is what Jesus has done for us. And it tells us the way of salvation. See, God can't just wave his hand. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, talking about Jesus being our propitiation. God can't just wave his hand and, and wave away sin. Listen, he's holy and he's righteous and he's just. God is a God of love. We hear that a lot today. Folks want to embrace this. this listen, it is a, um, it's a false religion. It's idolatry because we've created a God that is not the God of the Bible. We create the God of love. And love has become the idol. That is the God. God is God of love. God is a God of love. But God is also righteous and holy and just. So God is a God of love, but he is also a God of holiness and justice. He would, he, he would not um, be just in doing that. If he just waved his hand and said, sin is gone, I'm just wiping away sin, he would not be just because sin has to be judged. And you say, well, the preacher, that don't make any sense. Well, I'll ask you this. If someone breaks the law and they go before the court, if a court just throws it, the, judge, the judge's job there is to judge the sin. He's to judge the, the law that's been broken. If the judge doesn't judge it, just throws it out, there's no judgment made, there's nothing that's going to be done for that law that was broken or anything, that is not just because judgment and justice is not served. Our sin requires judgment. And so if God just wiped his hand and waved it away, he would not be just. And he would not be God. So there is... And so this is where the love of God and his justice meet. Sin must be judged, and God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God, because of his love for us, sent Jesus to die in our place to satisfy the penalty of sin. So Jesus became our propitiation. As we talked about a few weeks ago, he was our atoning sacrifice. He, he, he is a sacrifice, and what that means, propitiation, it's a sacrifice to make amends or reparation. So the sin had to be judged. It had to be paid for. The wrath of God had to come down on sin. And God sent his son, Jesus, who went to that cross. He took our sin, and the judgment of God came down on Jesus. The full weight of that. He was offered in our place, and he took our sin upon himself. God poured out his full, righteous, and just wrath on his son for our sin. Jesus paid the penalty of our sin with his own blood and his own life, and he redeemed us. He bought us back so that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God then justifies us. Now, what does that mean that justifies? Webster Dictionary defines justification as being pronounced free from blame or guilt. That's Webster's. Vine, Vine's Expository Dictionary says being justified is the legal and formal acquittal from guilt by God as judge. 
So the judge, the sin has been judged. It has been paid for. Jesus was the propitiation. He went in our place. He went in our stead. He took that sin. He took the penalty. He took the judgment. He took all of that. He was our atoning sacrifice, that substitution for us. And because that was done, then by faith, God can pronounce us just. He can give us this legal, this formal acquittal that God can then give. Wayne Grudem, Grudem says this, an instantaneous, that judgment or, or, or uh, justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. So in, in, in this legal act, God declares us to be righteous in his sight. He declares that. The sin has been paid for. The substitute was made. And now through faith, he, 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 he has taken our sin, and now God sees Christ's righteousness. I'm going to explain that better here in just a moment. So in this legal act, God declares us to be righteous in his sights. W.A. Vine says, justification is here, the legal and formal acquittal from guilt by God as judge and the pronouncement of the believing sinner as righteous in his sight. The verb is in the present continuous tense and thus indicates a constant process of justification in the succession of those who believe and are justified. It is, a, it is done and it is continuing. It is always being continued that you are justified. You have been justified, you were pronounced, but it is an ongoing continuous thing that you are being justified. So the justification Christ offers, uh, it frees us from the penalty of sin and keeps us from the penalty of sin. And when Jesus died on the cross, our sin was imputed to him. Now that word imputed, it's an accounting term. It's a, it, it means this, it means it was put on his account. So Jesus' account, it's got to be reckoned at some point. And on Jesus' account, the one who had zero sin on his account took the sin of the whole world. He became our sin. The scripture says he didn't just, they weren't, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, my sin was, was put up in, on the cross and Jesus' nail, hand was nailed to the cross, you know, through that, through my sin. It was put there or that it was laid upon him. That's not what the scriptures teach us. Jesus literally became our sin. He became sin for us so that sin was fully once and for all judged. So when Jesus died on the cross, our sin was imputed to him. It was accounted to Jesus. It was put on his account. Our sins were laid on him. He died for our sin in our place and satisfied the righteous wrath of God for our sin. So when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, his righteousness is then imputed to us and on us. His righteousness is laid upon us. Romans 4.24, we get over to the next chapter. Romans 4.24 says this. It says, it, speaking of righteousness, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses. Why was he delivered up? Why did Jesus go to the cross? For our offenses. Listen, and was raised because of our justification. It is because of what Jesus did. It's not because of what we've done, folks. It's not because of anything we can do, folks. It's because of what Jesus did. And when he rose from the dead, he proved that he was God. He proved that he could do what he said he was going to do. And we now have hope of receiving the righteousness of Christ in our lives through that personal relationship with him. Amen. Someone once said that justification means this. It's justified. Justified, never sinned. But it's more than that, folks. 
when we are born again, when we come to Christ by faith, it is more than just justified, if justified, never sin. It also is, it's justified, always done right. Because he's taken my sin. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Okay, So let's, let's say this is, this is Jesus. This is Jesus here. And, and, and on the cross, my sin was laid upon Jesus. And your sin was laid upon Jesus. And he became our sin. And he shed his blood. And he died to cover that sin. Our sin went from us onto Christ. And it was judged once and for all. It was judged for all time. The penalty for our sin has been paid. He, he shed his blood and it covered that sin. And when we by faith come to Christ, then the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness, the blackness and the sin is gone, but the righteousness of Christ is then laid upon us. And so when Jesus, when, when, when God looks at us, it, 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 that's why he can, he can justify us, He can pronounce us righteous because it's not that I'm holy, it's not that I've done anything right, but by faith I've trusted in Jesus. And Jesus said, Father, he's guilty of all of it. But when he received me, I, I, I paid for that sin way back there. I paid for his sin. And when he received me, Lord, I've given him my righteousness. And he has laid upon us his righteousness. When the Father looks on us, He doesn't see anymore our sin. He sees Jesus' righteousness. Not your righteousness, not my righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness. We're covered with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He did all this, verse 26 says, to demonstrate at, at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just. He's just because He did exactly what had to be done what needed to be done exactly the way it had to be done. He judged sin, but he loved us so much he knew the only way was to send a perfect, sinless, eternal sacrifice. And the only one who could do that was his son, Jesus. Amen. And he did that for us. So that he is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Folks, that's the gospel. The, 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 the cross proves that God is both just and the justifier. Through the cross, the wrath of God is satisfied. But at the same time, through the cross, the love of God is magnified. Amen? Amen. God no longer views us as guilty, condemned, and under His wrath. When we're born again through faith in Jesus Christ, when God looks on us, He sees the righteousness of His Son. Praise God. Hallelujah. We're going we're gonna to move now to, uh, normally I would stop right there and we'd go into our, our invitation. We're going to do this a little different. Um, Pastor Aaron, if you and the team want to go ahead and come forward, you can. Uh, gentlemen, our, our, uh, our deacons, I'm going to lighten up here a minute for a second. So we've got, our deacons are coming forward. We're going to have communion here in just a moment. And uh, so we have some of our deacon candidates are going to help out with communion this morning. And as I look at these guys, please, please don't, 
I mean, you see these guys with sport coats on this morning. They did that for me. I asked them to do that, but I, I realized it's kind of like putting lipstick on a pig. <laughs> In some cases, more than others. Y'all can be seated. Y'all can be seated. We're going to prepare now for the Lord's Supper. Um, the Lord's Supper, we find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread.